we went on ahead to the ship and sailed to Assas, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us as, at Assas, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos. And on the following day, arrived at Matthias, Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When he arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you, and from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was, in severe, I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So we are in Acts chapter 20 today. And in Acts chapter 20, we are on Paul's third missionary journey. There are three missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And Paul, who began here back in the country of Israel in Jerusalem, had made a trip all over this area, all over this area of Asia. He had spent time over here in Greece. And in this portion, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is coming to the end of his third and final missionary journey. And in Acts 20, we are going to be reading about how Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, where he already knows he is going to die for the cause of Christ. And so it's on this third missionary journey. He's saying goodbye to people, and he's wrapping up his ministry commitments. And so he came here to Assos, then Mytilene, then Chios, then Samos, then Miletus. Now Ephesus is where we have been studying for the past few weeks here at City Life, and he's very invested in the spiritual leaders in Ephesus. And so, but Paul is also in a hurry. And so rather than taking the trip here from Samos over to Ephesus, he stays on the ship and comes down to Miletus, and he invites the leaders of the church of Ephesus to travel the 30 miles from Ephesus to Miletus and to meet him there. Then he begins his teaching, and we're going to be covering over this week and then the two following weeks what the last words that Paul says to the leaders, to the spiritual leaders of the church in Ephesus. And so today we'll be focusing on the second half of that passage that we just read. And Diana, would you please reread that second half of today's passage, please? When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. 
although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything. That will be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Thank you. Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 21. So Paul comes to the elders, and the first thing he says to them is, you saw how I lived with you. He said, I served the Lord with great humility. I heard a chuckle. That was my reaction, too. When I was reading this passage this week, I thought, what if somebody came up on the stage at City Life and said, I have been serving the Lord with great humility. I have been serving the Lord in the midst of great difficulty and with great humility. How would we take that, really? I mean, I think we're giving a little bit of, we're throwing a little bit of a bone because he is the Apostle Paul, right? Which is appropriate that we do give that to Paul. But what if we were just hearing that and we, they weren't the Apostle Paul? How would we respond to that? Do you think Paul's a little full of himself? Do you, do you think he's crossing a line here? Isn't it funny how our thoughts immediately go that direction? And Paul begins, interestingly enough, by being a little bit defensive. Now, he's not been, he's not been attacked by these spiritual leaders, but he's been attacked by other people. But he's defending himself to these leaders. And so he begins by saying, you know how I lived. You know that the things, you know the, the, op the opponents that have been part of the gospel and part of the work that we've been doing here. You know about the attacks. And he says, look at how I've lived. Look at how I've served. I've cried over these people. I have loved on these people. I have lived my life with these people. And he, he's a bit defensive. Now, we don't take defensiveness too well today, do we? We tend to think that if somebody's defensive, that makes them automatically in the wrong, don't we? That's kind of where we tend to go. But this tells us in this passage, Paul says that he was often misunderstood and critiqued and watched and evaluated. And I think this is just what it means to be in leadership. Life in a, life in a fishbowl. Like, you're this goldfish swimming in this bowl with clear sides all around you, and everybody can see you, and everybody can watch you all the time. Anybody ever heard that example before of, it's like living your life in a, in, at like a goldfish in a bowl. People can see your life on display. Now, this is true for people in lots of different leadership positions. This is true for people in, who are just in the public eye for a variety of reasons. Take, for example, the royal family of the United Kingdom, Kate Middleton and Prince William. We are obsessed. The news is obsessed with their lives. I, Adam talks, I, I, like, I like following it. I think it's interesting. And Adam's like, Chrissy, that's so ridiculous. Why do you care? Why do you care? It's not our government. Like, why do you even care? I'm like, I just think it's interesting. But, but we're, we're obsessed with the, with, the news is obsessed with knowing about what they're doing and where they're going on vacation and what, how, what their kids look like on their birthdays. Like, we're, we're really interested in this sort of stuff. Similar with uh, Brittany Griner, the WNBA player. We've been, we've been obsessed. Some of you have been following the news about, about her situation. And uh, she she's living her life in a fishbowl. Lots of people have struggles. There are lots of other people who've been detained in governments where in, in countries where they don't live for a variety of reasons. But because she's a, in the public fig she's a public figure and is in the public eye, 
her life is in a fishbowl, and we're all watching, and we're evaluating, and we're commenting. Same with Will Smith. He's in the public eye. Lots of people have conflicts. Lots of people have issues in life, and lots of people cross lines or have problems. But because he's in the public eye, we're watching, and we feel pretty free to evaluate and pass judgment because his life is like a goldfish in a bowl. In fact, you can, find art, you can actually find whole news magazines that are about the latest celebrity gossip. People who's, who live their lives in a fishbowl, and we have access to knowing things about their personal lives. This, this is often what leadership looks like. You get watched. Now let's scale this down to our lives. Many of you are in leadership positions of various kinds. Maybe you're in a leadership position at work. Maybe you own your company. Maybe you are a manager. Maybe you are a shift leader. Maybe your boss has said to you, I see you doing good work. I'm going to entrust you with this responsibility. Maybe you serve on a board as a board member. Maybe you are a teacher and you're leading children, you're forming them, you're shaping their minds and their hearts and the things that they care about. Maybe you're a teacher in a school, maybe you're a teacher in a community classroom, like an instructor of some kind. Maybe you're a leader here at City Life or, or in another Christian ministry. Maybe you're a teacher in Kid City. We've had lots of people at City Life be teachers in our youth group. Maybe you've taught a life group or you've shepherded a life group. Maybe you have leadership within a ministry team. You have responsibilities for making sure that ministry happens here. Maybe people here at this church look up to you in some way as some sort of influencer in the church. Maybe you're just a, a person who has influence. If you've had a taste of leadership, and especially spiritual leadership, I think this passage has some insights for you. And if you've generally been on the outside of leadership up to this point, I would suggest that this passage might have some insights for you as well. So let's just talk for a minute about characteristics of life in a fishbowl. Now, just to tell you my little story here, my little sob story, I was very committed to making sure I had, like, goldfish to give away today. But um, nobody has goldfish right now. I mean, they're all, all the pet stores are closed down and, like, Meyer's redoing their pet thing. I couldn't get any goldfish. So you're going to have to just bear with me and imagine that we have a goldfish right here. So characteristics of life in, in a fishbowl. What is it like when all eyes are on you? There are two characteristics. The first is this, is that people watch your life publicly. People are watching Paul's life. When you have leadership, people watch you. If you've got a little, a little bit of leadership, you've got a few people watching you. When you have more leadership responsibility, more people watch you. When you have a lot of leadership responsibility, a lot of, a lot of people watch you. You can mess up your life. You can make bad decisions, but the higher up you go in leadership, the more, the more um, effect there is for you. So people watch how you live your life. Eyes are on you. Now there's both pressure here and there's opportunity, right? There's the pressure of people are watching me, but there's also the opportunity. There's a, there's a bigger platform, and so it's attention that's held. One of the challenges of living your life publicly is that you make your mistakes publicly. You win publicly, but you also make your mistakes publicly. I feel that 
aware, no, just here in our little city life sphere, I feel aware of that in my own life. Like, if I make mistakes, like, I'm usually making them in front of everybody. And, and that's just how it is. And so, and that's just the nature of, of the work and the ministry. But you have the same thing in, in your areas of leadership. When you make mistakes, people see them. You also have your wins in public as well. But basically, if you are in any sort of leadership, and I would say especially some kind of spiritual leadership, you have a target on your back. You have a target on your back. You have the opportunity to be a role model, to be an influencer, but you also have responsibility too. So leaders live their lives more publicly. The second characteristic of life in a fishbowl is this. People have opinions about you. Just like these celebrities we were talking about a few minutes ago. We've, we've all, I'm sure there are a variety of opinions about all of those scenarios that I just presented. I bet in this room, we have people on opposite sides of all of those situations. That's fine. But if you're in leadership, people have opinions about you. And that's a nice way of saying that people judge you. <laughs> and I'm not saying anything about the the. The, the figures I just mentioned, the Brittany Griners, the Will Smith, the, the president, the governor of Michigan, I'm not making political comments about any of those people. I'm just saying that we have opinions about these public figures and we watch their lives, and the same is true for us in our spheres of leadership as well. In fact, if you're in leadership, one of the funny things is that sometimes people judge you simply for being in leadership. Like, they just make assumptions that if you're a leader, you're probably full of ego. If you're a leader, you're in it for the image, or the money, or the power. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had all these things said about him, too. Jesus. People had all kinds of opinions about Jesus, didn't they? They said he was from the prince of demons. By the prince of demons, he drove out demons. They, they critiqued the way that Jesus spent money. They critiqued the way that Jesus spent the Sabbath. They critiqued the way that Jesus taught the people. They critiqued this, they critiqued that. They had all sorts of opinions about Jesus. Same thing with the Apostle Paul. People had all sorts of opinions about the Apostle Paul. And they spiritualized them. That was true of Jesus, too. They spiritualized them. And both Jesus and Paul show us the importance of integrity, to live a life, to seek to live a life above reproach, to seek to live the kind of life that is, is blameless and holy and pure. That is the goal of leadership. But I think that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul also show us that no matter how perfect our integrity, a.k.a. Jesus, who actually was perfect, the nature of leadership still makes us subject to attack. It, it honestly doesn't even matter to some degree if, if, you, if you are above reproach because you're not in the eyes of some people. Now, I'm not saying that any time somebody critiques you or attacks you, that they're wrong and you're right. Because sometimes we're just wrong, right? Oh, that was confusing. But sometimes we're just wrong. <laughs> we are actually Jesus, and we are certainly subject to sin. We're certainly subject to the possibility of messing up. We are certainly subject to leading badly, to making mistakes in our leadership. We're certainly subject to just making bad decisions. We're subject to doing things that aren't godly sometimes. But what I'm saying is that there is no alternative if you are a Christian leader. You will be critiqued, and sometimes that will be unfairly. And so we have this situation of the Apostle Paul, 
showing us these challenges, these dynamics of leadership. And I think that the problem for the danger for a lot of us is that too many of us avoid spiritual leadership. Too many of us refuse to take up the spiritual leadership that Jesus would call you to if you would listen. Because we're more worried about our reputation, because we're worried about the pressures of life in the fishbowl, because we're unwilling to look like a fool for Christ. And so I think a lot of us put off the spiritual leadership that Jesus is calling to because we don't want that fishbowl life, and we're much more comfortable critiquing those who are in the fishbowl. And so we choose to stay spiritual infants, refusing to step into the calling of Jesus to engage. We don't mentor people because, you know, mentoring, it's, it's kind of squishy and messy. It's not like you can just check it off a list, like, okay, now they're, they're, con- they're mentored people. Mentoring's, like, messy and awkward, and it takes time, and you have to, like, have, you have to talk about, like, confusing things you're not prepared to talk about. You have to talk about things that you might not be an expert in. Mentoring is complicated. And so we, we avoid having spiritual conversations with people. We avoid holding other Christians accountable, or oh, Christians, yeah, we avoid holding other Christians accountable because we don't want to have hard conversations. We, we make, we say, I'd rather be nice and supportive to this person rather than calling them to the holiness that Jesus asks us to come to. Spiritual leaders will be willing to say, hey, can, can we talk about this in your life? I know it looks like I'm judging, but like, can we just talk about this for a minute? Those are hard conversations, and many of us avoid those. We, we also tend to avoid uh, spiritual leadership and say spiritual infants by just not wanting to sweat a little. I just don't want to give the work. I don't want to give something that takes preparation. I don't want to give something that will take my time. My time is my most important thing, and I'm not interested in giving it to Jesus. I actually, in the course of thinking through this, was thinking of some city lifers who do spiritual leadership, who I've actually just seen in action most recently. Uh, just this past week, I, I was a ch- we were chatting with Sue Figueroa, and Sue has been, Sue saw a need, and she said to me, she said in our, in our staff meeting this week, she said, I'm going to be leading a Bible study at the apartment complex that's just here close by the church where I've been building relationships and I know some people and I see people who are just like hungry for Jesus and they want to grow right now and they just want to gather around the Bible. And, she's, and Sue said, I've never led a Bible study before. I've never, I, I, don't, I don't even really know what I'm doing. Like, but I, but here, there she was, she felt committed to it, she felt called to it, she had gotten a book she was going to teach through and she was like, I don't know what's, what I'm going to do but I just feel like I need to do this. That's what it looks like to step out in faith. She knows that God has connected her there. She knows that God's moving there, and she just wants to join God where he's working. Another one I would say is, I've been thinking a lot about kids' city teachers, especially in light of Vacation Bible School this week. Do you know that it takes time to prepare a lesson to teach the kids in Kid City? It takes time. Even if you know the Bible stories, even if you already know how they go, it's one thing to know the information. It's another thing to prepare and, and have a teaching method that engages the kids and helps them learn. It just takes time. 
we have such little time to influence our kids for Christ. We get them for a very short period of time on Sunday mornings. That's assuming they come every single week. And then that's the, that's the only official structured church time that we get most of the time. And so what the Kid City teachers do, the preparation, the time it takes, the not just coming in and winging, oh, we're going to talk about, oh, you know, Jesus loves you, and you know, it's important, Jesus loves you. No, they, they, they dig into the Bible, and they prepare their lessons, and they teach because they're treasuring these opportunities that they have to invest in our children. Lots of people are engaging in spiritual leadership, but I think we often disengage because of the cost, because of the fishbowl, because of the time, because of the eyes on you. Sometimes people avoid spiritual leadership because of the accountability it gives you. People are watching you. <laughs> I'm just not comfortable with that. Sometimes people avoid spiritual leadership because of the demands it makes on them. And so they'd rather critique the fishbowl from the outside rather than the inside. But those immature Christians don't get to define reality for the mature Christians. That's not how it works. And it's time to grow up and to respond to whatever it is that you might have been resisting of what God is doing in your life. And for some of us, instead of swimming like goldfish, we're we're still little minnows. We've got to get into the big pond. The scriptures challenge us to leave immaturity behind. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. This is the Apostle Paul saying, Come on, get into, chew on my word, go deeper into God's word. And then in Hebrews 5, the author says in verse 11, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you want to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Here's the key verse. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Maturity is developed by constant use. Just as an infant is, learned, is switching from a mother's milk to table food, it happens by constant use and constant practice. If you have ever seen a new little baby switch from mother's milk to cereal or to the first table foods, they, parents take pictures because their faces go like this. Because they don't like it. They're not used to it. They're not used to the switch to the other kind of food. But then eventually they, they get the hang of it and they figure it out. And Paul says by constant use, you can train yourselves into maturity. So sometimes our reasons for rejecting life in the fishbowl, for rejecting spiritual leadership, are because we're just unwilling to pay the price. We're unwilling to be watched. We're unwilling to have the accountability. But I also know that sometimes we reject spiritual leader leadership because of, of insecurity. We say, I just can't do it. I'm, I'm too weak 
I'm too weak. I, I, I'm, it's too hard for me. I have no idea how I could do what I think God's calling me to do. I mean, Sue could have said that. Sue could have said, I don't know how to teach. I've never taught something like this before. And I will say it's not necessarily a bad position to be in the place of saying, I don't know how to do this. I actually have that quite regularly in, in my work. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. But I think it's not a, necessarily a bad place to be. 1 Corinthians 12, the, uh, chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says that the Lord spoke to him and said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, and Paul says, therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And Paul says, that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That is a hard tension to live in. I would much rather know that I am strong in Christ and feel strong in Christ. <laughs> but so often, the way it works out is we feel weak, and we simply rely on the truth that out of this weakness, God can do something with that. Out of our inadequacy, that's most when God can work. Another reason that sometimes we reject the spiritual leadership that's given to us is because of shame, because of the past. Because we say things to ourselves like, I'm not that good of a Christian. It's not just about me being resistant to stepping out into maturity, it's that I'm not that good. And I'm concerned about the paralysis that comes when people don't fully receive God's grace. Now, there is a danger to being in this position. There's a danger to living in that shameful sense of, I have nothing to offer God. God doesn't want me. I could never serve God. I could never rise up to serve him in a significant way. There is a danger, a, a self-centered danger that I think the devil can twist us into. And I think that sometimes folks in that position can go among those who are criticizing. Well, I'm not that good of a Christian, but I'm going to point the finger at them because they're, they're no good either. And that's not really helpful. You don't get to be that person. But I'm also just concerned about the way that the enemy loves to tie our hands behind us and tell us that we can't do anything. You're no good anymore. You're disqualified. There's no future for you. And I do think that the enemy has bound some of you spiritual leaders up who've maybe done spiritual leadership in the past, and he's lying to you, saying, you're done. Your time's over. And the reality is, if that's you, you don't get to decide if you serve God or not. Well, you get to decide if you're obedient or not. You don't get to decide if you're chosen or not. God chooses that. God gets to decide who he chooses. God gets to decide who he calls. And some of you will trust Jesus for your salvation, but you won't trust him for your restoration. And if that's where you are today, I want to encourage you to lean into whatever resistance or pain or bondage that's holding you back. Because I firmly believe God wants to do a healing and a restoration in you. And if you lean into that, he will do a deeper work that you might not even have known you needed. You are not done. Your ministry not over. 
So Paul, he's, he's here in Miletus. The people, the, the church leaders in Ephesus have traveled the 30 miles to come and meet Paul. And Paul is saying a few things to them in Acts chapter 20. He's saying, look at how I lived. Watch what I did. And stay strong. Here's some warnings. Dr. Evans is going to preach next week and talk about the warnings of things you need to be on the lookout for. If you're in spiritual leadership, you have to watch out for these things. And then he blesses them. And then he tells them, this is the last time you're going to see me. And so Paul is having this meeting, and he is, he is try, he, he's trying to help these leaders understand all of the critiques that they've heard about Paul, all of the awful things that have been said about him, all of the things that have been, just been an attack on the movement of Jesus. And so Paul is defining reality for the, not the infants in the room, but the grown-ups in the room. This is a message for the grown folk in the Christian community. And he says, you know my example and you should do the same. People are going to talk bad about you too, just like they talk bad about me. But follow Jesus anyway. And so he says to them, let's read this section of scripture one more time, verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. Verse 19. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. He says, you've seen how I have lived. Paul says, here's my example. Here's how to be a spiritual leader. Follow my example. So he gives us three examples. Example number one is this. In verse 18, he says, you know how I lived. The whole time, I was with you all the time. You know how I lived. Example number one is Paul lived as an insider among the people he was leading. Fun fact, you don't get to come in as an outsider into a community and be like, I'm your spiritual leader. You, you need to be part of your people know your people, be your people, be with your people. We talk about these things in, in City Life Strategy as equitable relationships. There's a, give, there's a mutual give and take. It's not a hierarchy. We talk about proximity and how it's important to be with, how Jesus himself demonstrated incarnation of leaving heaven and coming to us. He could have saved us from heaven, but he didn't choose to do it that way. He came to be with us. There's something about proximity and doing life with people. Paul says, I did life with you. In fact, Paul says, I did life with you to the point of tears, like crying a lot, pain, struggle. And by living with them, Paul was able to know what they needed to hear so he could preach what was helpful to them. I, I just uh, preached for an outside group. Once in a while, I'll preach for other groups that are outside of city life. It's always a very different dynamic of teaching a group of people that I don't usually do life with. And I, uh, I wasn't planning to share this, but I'll just tell you because it's kind of interesting. But yesterday, I had to pre-record a video for, uh, I was speaking to the Wesleyan women in the Caribbean, so women in our denomination in the Caribbean. And when they first invited me to speak, I was like, oh, this is fun, the Caribbean. And then I found out it was online, so I just had to pre-record it. I didn't get to go. So clearly, I'm doing something wrong if I don't get to go. But anyway, anyway, because it was a group of people I didn't know, 
I spent quite a bit of time talking with people there ahead of time, talking with some other people who knew the group. Help me understand what I'm walking into. What are the things that are going on in the community? I, I've learned to do that over time. There have been plenty of times when I did guest preaching as a younger preacher and didn't do that. There is something, church, about being with your people, knowing who they are and what they need to hear. So example number one, Paul lived as an insider. Example number two, Paul constantly taught them all the time in many places. He taught them so much. In fact, I've been a little jealous of Paul's teaching because if you remember from a few weeks ago, it said that Paul taught every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Do you remember that from a few weeks ago? He taught every day from about 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. when everybody kind of took their midday break. He taught every single day. I thought, how fun is that? We only do it once a week here, and maybe two if you get a life group. And he taught every day. There were opportunities to learn and grow and to dig in and to dialogue and have conversation and to wrestle and ask questions. Paul constantly taught them, all the time, and in many places. And I'll just say, parents, this is what makes your role as spiritual leaders in the home so important. Because moms and dads, you can constantly be teaching your children. The Bible says, talk about Jesus as you go along the road. Talk about them when you get up. Talk about, the, talk about him when you go to bed. Paul constantly taught them in many places all the time. And verse 20 says, you know I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. He said, I did it in public and I went to your homes. Like I was out there publicly and I was in your business in your homes. He got in there. He did the work. He constantly taught them. The third example from Paul is that Paul boldly declared, Paul boldly declared that people must, number one, repent, and number two, have faith in Jesus. I don't know if you fully picture what's happening here. This is Paul boldly getting in people's faces, and, and he was doing it in an appropriate way, but it took courage to do it. And he said, you, you need to repent. You need to put your faith in Jesus. And he said, he said, you need to repent. What that means is we need to accept, we need to accept that we don't have the answers to our lives, that we're not the solution, that only, the only solution can come through Jesus. And repentance is accepting that I cannot adequately lead my own life. Repentance is saying, I don't want my life to be lived this way anymore. I'm going to turn from me being in charge of my life to letting Jesus being in charge of my life. And Paul also taught them to put faith in Jesus. He says you need to put your confidence in Jesus. You need to trust the word of God. You need to trust that what Jesus said is true and accurate. You have to weigh his claims and decide if you believe he, he is God. And then you, if you do, you need to put your trust in him and you need to follow him. You need to make Jesus' truth your first foundation, the foundation out of which you do everything else. How many of us have had those kinds of conversations with people lately? How many of us have said, you need to turn from that. How many of us have said, have you, do you have faith in Jesus? What do you have faith in? What is your faith in if it's not Jesus? Are we having these conversations? So Paul says, example number one, live 
among your people. Example number two, be teaching and pouring into people. Example number three, boldly, courageously, get to the point. Your faith in Jesus or your lack of faith in Jesus matters. Your repentance and humility before God or not matters. And Paul says, in all of this, in all of these things, expect to be misunderstood. Expect to be the fish in the fishbowl who other people point at and say, huh, see that? They're like swimming the wrong direction right now. They're kind of like tipped to the side rather than straight up. People get picky. People watch you. People make these judgments. 1 Corinthians 2 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Some people will not understand what you are saying because the Spirit of God is not in their lives because they have not welcomed the Spirit of God. And they won't be able to understand. And so they will continue to point fingers. They will be, continue to critique the fish in the fishbowl. Paul says, you know what? Let's grow up. That's just part of it. He's nicer about it. He says it's hard. But he says this is part of it. That whole Jesus took up a cross thing. You know, Jesus' life wasn't that easy. It wasn't that conflict-free. And Paul says, this is spiritual leadership. And he tells these, these leaders in Ephesians, he says, all right, leaders in Ephesians, by this point, church, the Ephesian church was five years old. Five years. Paul had planted the church, then he was gone for like a year or two. Then he came back to Ephesus and lived there for two years, developing, 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 training, training, teaching, teaching, teaching. And then he went off and did some other things. The church at this point is five years old. I remember city life at five years old, and I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, are we going to make it? The church is five years old here. And Paul says, okay, leaders, rise up. Rise up. You're being watched. You're going to be misunderstood. People aren't going to get it. But what, I have to, what Jesus has to offer is worth it. What Jesus has to offer is truth. What Jesus has to offer is hope, is life, is treasure. What Jesus has to offer is the pearl of great price. So go and sell everything you have and pursue that pearl of great price. And he says to those who are stumbling along in spiritual leadership, keep going, keep stumbling, keep rising up, don't give up. Don't give up, keep at it. You'll mess up, but don't give up. You'll be attacked, but don't give up. You'll do things wrong sometimes, but don't give up. You'll make a wrong leadership decision and it will just, everything will kind of just not be right, but don't give up. People are watching, but don't give up. The pressure's on, but don't give up. The stakes are high, but don't give up. And some of you here today, some of you here today need to respond to the call of Jesus to step up into a greater spiritual leadership. I'm not saying what that is because I don't know, but God does, and perhaps you're getting glimmers of what that might be. But some of you need to step it up some of you need to jump into that fishbowl. You need to jump out of your little minnow pond into the fishbowl and say, Jesus, here I am. Send me, God. Here I am. Jesus, I am petrified, but I love you and I know you love me and I want to obey you. Here I am. 
some of you might have something specific in mind, something you've been resisting, something you've said, not for me. Maybe you've said, I can't, I, I just don't want to deal with the eyes on me. I don't want to deal with the accountability. But you know, you know, you've sensed that God's, he just keeps bringing this thing to mind. That's him, that's the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder. If this thing keeps coming up in your life, that's the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder. And today might be your day. Today could be your day to finally jump in. Some of you need to get out of the critiquing seat. <laughs> I went yesterday and stared at the empty aquariums in Meyer. Some of you are aquarium starers. Looking at the goldfish. Look at them. They're messing up all the time. Glad that, you know, I'm, I'm not a great Christian, but at least I'm not them. You know, you need to get in the game. You need to jump into that aquarium. Jump out of your minnow pond. Get into the game. Maybe that's you, and you need to shift positions, and there's a, there's a great humility coming for you, but it's a goodness. It's a goodness of humility. And then there are some of you who used to serve in spiritual leadership. And you were the ones I was talking about earlier where you've said, I think my time's over. And I would just say to you, is it? Is it really? Because Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he tells us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers. In church, I've been praying that the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers. And I know that some of you have been wounded in ministry, and you have disqualified yourselves, but God has not disqualified you. And he's waiting. He's waiting for you. Jesus calls us to a crazy life. Following Jesus is not boring. I often say City Life Church, our unofficial byline is City Life Church, where life is never boring. It's just not. Like, we've got all kinds of stuff. I'm not a perfect leader. I mess up all the time. The people that I work with closest see it all the time. But all we can do the best thing to do is to be in God's will, no matter how hard. And I want to invite you, church, to rise up. Because the harvest is plentiful. We have a harvest, we have this little VBS that we are throwing together here. Not throwing together, we've been planning and praying about it for months. We have this little, this little VBS. We're going to reach kids. And you heard the testimony last week about, about Tracy's family where her, her dad as a little kid became a Christian. Then he went home, and then his dad became a Christian. And then he raised Tracy to become a Christian. And then Tracy raised her kids to become a Christian. And there are four generations of Christians because of what happened in their little VBS. Jesus, I don't know what he's calling you to, but I am convinced that he's calling us to spiritual leadership. I'm convinced that he's calling us to live boldly and openly, to get into the fishbowl and say, bring it. Bring it, Satan. Bring it, Satan. I'm going to be critiqued. Right now, I'm bold about it. I know the day will come when I'm going to struggle with it, but right now, I'm just going out in faith, and I'm saying, here I am. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this church. Would, would you please stand where you are? 
if the Lord is calling you to step out to a deeper layer of spiritual leadership or to re-engage in a deeper spiritual leadership, would you please come, come forward, come and kneel here, and we're going to take a moment and pray, but I want you as a physical act of stepping out, to step out from your chair, to help your body physically understand that you are stepping out in boldness. And for those of you who are in your seats who are just saying, I'm not good enough, I don't know enough, I'm not ready yet, hold that before God. Hold it before God with open hands. Hold it before God with open hands and say, God, heal what needs to be healed. God, fix whatever lies the devil is feeding into me. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray over these folks here today, your children. You, God, call. You, God, call. The road isn't easy, but your burden is light, Jesus. And Jesus, you call us into goodness. You call us into the kingdom. And I pray that through our faithfulness and obedience, your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, give us courage. Draw us more deeply into your presence. Give us your Holy Spirit. Break down the lies of the enemy, and I pray for your protection to be over each of these people here, that the enemy will not be allowed to talk them out of this later, that the enemy will not be allowed to twist whatever has been happening, but that your spirit will rise. We ask all these things for the sake of your kingdom, Jesus, not for ours, not for our glory, not for our ego, not for our power, not for our money, for your glory. And that's it. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 I'm going to invite those that are um, in spiritual ministry or responding to spiritual ministry to come first to receive communion today. Uh, communion stewards, please come and, um, and prepare to help serve communion.